be unequally yoked together with unbelievers? For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Father, I, I thank you so much for what you're doing. I pray that you continue to bless that, that school, that university. Bless those pastors. Bless the kids that are there participating and being a part of that and see the vision in it. What an awesome thing, Lord. There's a song we talk about, a genera- generation rising up. And Lord, maybe, maybe this is it. Maybe this is a group of, of young folks that are finally saying, you know what, we've tried it the other way. We've, we tried the woke thing and it doesn't work. And we're time, we need to come back to Jesus. So Lord, I pray that you would continue to do that work and uh, you would just uh, bless them above and beyond anything they could ever possibly um, ask or hope or think. And uh, may you give us the ability to continue to pray for them. And Father, do it around the world. Just, just spread this as far and wide as you possibly can. And we ask for your protection around them also. Have your hand upon us this morning, Father, as we study your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. How many of you have heard the, uh, the old saying, Ali Ali Outsend Free? Yeah, anybody heard that? You know that they, they still can't really figure out where it had its origin, probably a bunch of kids playing. And evidently there's several different variations of it. But in essence, what it means is all that are out, you know, playing hide and seek, they can't find them. Somebody would yell, Oli Oli, out sin free, and whoever's out there would be able to come in free and, and not be tagged or be it or whatever the case might be. I almost came up with that one. I was going to almost use that as a title. And uh, I decided to go with, does your name come up in hell? And I hope to explain that a little bit more a little bit later as we uh, get going in the service. As you guys know, just a little bit of a recap. The church in Corinth, they're a, they're a fickle bunch, as is human nature, I think. They were rich, yet they were poor spiritually. God had blessed them. They were financially rich because of being that poor city, but by the same token, they were given many, many of the spiritual gifts, but they didn't know how to use them. They didn't know how to put them in the proper order. And uh, so they lacked in that Christian maturity, and Paul's doing his best to try to help them mature, help them grow up, give them guidelines for growing up. But how many of you remember being a kid? When you get advice, you don't necessarily like it, right? You don't necessarily like the part of growing up, the, the adulting thing. We want the freedom, but we don't want the responsibility that comes along with that. And that's not a put down, that's just life. That's just us growing through that time period where we really want to be an adult. You know, we want to have those things, but we're not quite there yet. And we really don't understand the cost of it all. I remember that for me, I really wanted a car. You know, I really wanted to have a car. But I remember when I got that car, I actually had to work to make the payments. 
And if I didn't work to make the payments, they'd come and get the car. Now, another thing that went along with that it was, was that prior to that, if I was working at a job that I didn't like, I lived at home, I just quit, right? You don't like it, you can just quit. Now, all of a sudden, it begins to register. I can't quit. I can't quit. If I'm going to have a car, I'm going to have gas, I'm going to have insurance, I'm going to have these things, I can no longer quit. And, and for me, that was one of my first realizations of adulthood, I guess. Paul is telling them, you've got all these gifts, but you need to use them. You know, I gave them to you to be able to use them. And there requires, or it requires, the use of them, a little bit of maturity in knowing how to use them and what to do. And growing up is tough. A lot of people say they'd like to go back and relive this or relive that. I would never want to go back and relive my teenage years, you know, all those years. I just, uh, some of it was fun, but some of it was very, very difficult, uh, trying to be understood and to try to understand all of the, those things that go along with it. But it reminds me a little bit of the church in Laodicea. If you guys would turn to Revelation 3, 14 through 17, I want to read a few things that the Lord had said to the church in Laodicea. He says, these things say the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the of, uh, creation of God. Now we know who that is, right? We know that that's the Lord. He says, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. Now it's interesting because we can sit in church for years and need, be neither cold nor hot. We can be lukewarm sorry Luke I didn't mean to point, point that but we can be lukewarm and that was no reflection on your walk at all I just using the name Luke because Luke, anyway um, we can be that tepid you know the halfway in between hot and halfway in between cold have you ever gone to the refrigerator to get something and you expected it to be cold and it's it's hot or it's not, it's warm and it's just gross or you go there and you expect something to be you you, you expect something to be hot. Maybe you, you fire up the coffee maker and make some coffee and you wait too long and then you get ready to take a, a sip of the coffee and it's cold and you, it's just kind of gross. Well, there is a place in Christianity where we can be neither hot nor cold. Are we saved? I'm glad that God has to answer that question, not me. Because in a lot of cases, some people would say, I wonder if you're even saved because there doesn't seem to be a passion for God. There doesn't seem to be a love for God because you can't look into the face of Jesus and remain the same. And it seems like nothing is changed. So we can be at that place where we're not hot, we're not cold. If anybody asks us, we'd say, I'm a, I'm a Christian. How dare you question whether or not I'm a Christian? So there is that place in between, and he's talking about the church in Laodicea, and he's saying, you're neither hot nor cold. And he says, I would wish, I could wish that you were cold or hot, because you've got some place to go. <laughs> if you're cold or hot, you're right there where you need to be, and if you're cold, you realize that there's an opportunity for you to get on fire for Jesus Christ. There's a, there's a travel point for you to go, but when you're right in the middle, you're like that... Uh, you know, the frog in the kettle. Any, you guys remember that story? How do you boil a frog without him jumping out of the water? You turn the heat up real slow. He acclimates 
to the water. And pretty soon you have frog legs. <laughs> he just doesn't realize it's getting hotter until he's cooked and he's, he's gone. So he's saying, I, I wish that you were. But he says in verse 6, So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That's, that's heavy duty, isn't it? That's the way you first feel when you taste that drink that's not what you expected it to be. I think I've told you guys the story of uh, all these stories. I've got to get to the teaching, but I'll tell you the story again. Johnny Gutierrez. Carlos, his brother, goes here from time to time. Haven't seen him recently. But I grew up with Johnny. And uh, I would go over, and his mom would make, you know, fresh tortillas, and we would have, uh, I would eat over at his house. And my mom would make fresh cinnamon rolls, and they were to die for it. You know, I had all, I, kids at school would invite me if they could come, I mean, ask me if they could come to my house. They'd invite themselves because of my mom's cinnamon rolls. But I was over at Johnny's one night, and we were having cookies. His mom brought out cookies and, and milk right? So we had this little, uh, there was a little trailer out and we stayed in the trailer. And it was one of those tumblers. You remember those old tumblers you'd get that were like white insulated in the, in the bottom and outside sometimes they would have like a, like a gunny sack sort of look between the plastics. Well, I'm messing around with, I've already drank my milk and I'm kind of messing around with this thing and I realized that, that it's loose between the top and the bottom. And so I I get it loose, right? And I take it off, and there's milk in the bottom of it. And I grab that milk, and I, and I chug it. That was the spitting out of my mouth that the Lord's talking to. You know what it was? It was old dishwater. And I could not tell you how many years it had been there. But it had been there a very, very long time. So, you know, this is the Lord talking to the church in Laodicea, and he goes, man, pick one or the other. But halfway in the middle, it's just, it's, it's, it's a gross place to be in our walks. So, he says, so then because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Verse 17, because you say I am rich and I have become wealthy and I have need of nothing, that's the church in Corinth, and you do not know that you are what? Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Wow. We meet folks like that all the time. That think they have it all together, but they don't. Their whole focus, if you guys are on TikTok or watch uh, any of the things on social media, everybody wants to be a star. It's all, it's all about being a star. You even have people now retweeting something that somebody else has done, and they're just sitting in their own little window going, mm -hmm, isn't that true? Yeah, and they're laughing. And they think they're going to get lots of likes from doing that, or even getting some revenue generated from doing that. But everybody thinks that they're rich. They think they're in need of, of nothing. Man, I got it all under control. And maybe financially, they do. But there's something worth much, much more than being rich, or being a celebrity, or being a star. Church in Corinth has been blessed with so many gifts, but they're unable to give the, the gift that means the most. You guys know what that is, right? It's ourselves. 
That's the gift that means the most to the Lord. So it would be safe to say that they had problems with being consistent. Pastor Dan's mentioned this in previous teachings. Paul's kind of gone through that whole thing in First and Second Corinthians, and that's being consistent. You know, even a, even a clock that doesn't work, it's right once an hour, right? Or once a day or something, one of those times. Twice a day, noon and midnight. So twice, it's right twice. It doesn't do anything, it's broken, but it's right twice a day. So our walks are supposed to be consistent. Not just right once in a while, you know. Something happens and we're all excited about things and then boom. It, it lasts for about five minutes, and then we're back to our old ways, doing the old things. So they, they lack consistency, and they're having a hard time remaining separated from the world. They go back in. Throughout the years, there have been people who have come to the church that have been incarcerated. They have been in prison, they're out, and... And some of those guys were assistants to the chaplain. They held Bible studies, they went to Bible studies, they made everything they could possibly do to make the life of the chaplain easier. They're on fire, they seem to be on fire for the Lord, but they get out, and guess what happens? They can't maintain the separation. They can't maintain the separation. You know, in there, your time's, it's clocked for you. You know exactly what you're going to do, when you're going to do it, how you're going to do it, and that's it. And maybe unless you work at the commissary or someplace else, you really don't work. You get out back out in the world and, and all of that adult stuff kicks back in again. And almost, not always, but almost, they end up, inevitably, they end up calling an old friend. Hey man, how you doing? I hear you're back on the street. I hear you're... They go on, and pretty soon they're, they're meeting up. You know, it, you know it's, it's fine. We're not going to do anything. And then slowly but surely, they find themselves back in the same thing. Guys, we've been freed from prison, but we go back from time to time. Jesus has set us free. We are separated by the blood of Jesus Christ. But we have the power... We have the ability to be able to go back and do the old things, contact the old people, live the way that we used to, talk the way we used to talk or shouldn't talk, be around the people that we shouldn't be around. So we're going to take a look at some of these things. So look at chapter 6, verse 1, and we'll see his call to consistency. He says, We then, as workers together with him, that means the Lord, we also plead with you not to receive God's grace in vain. The grace of God in vain. Do not receive it in vain. What does that mean? First thing I want to point out before we get to that is that word together. You see that? Guys, I can't state enough. You and I were never meant to walk this walk alone. The Holy Spirit is the dunamis, the dynamite in our walk. It's the power in our walk. We were never meant to walk this walk without the power of God's Holy Spirit in our life. Now you might be thinking, does that mean I need to hoop and holler and speak in tongues? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, you might hoop and holler, and you, God may give you that gift. But my point is this, if it's not in you, it's just a display. 
And we were never meant to walk this walk without that empowering of God's Holy Spirit. Well, how do you maintain that? Well, how do you maintain going to the gym? How do you maintain, if you've worked a year and a half for a certain physique, I've worked 71 years on this one. But if you go to the gym and you get a certain physique, how do you maintain it? Have you seen people that lift weights for a long, long time and then they don't lift weights for 20 years? Have you, well, I won't go into the description of it, but it's not pretty. The thing is, if you don't keep it up, it's easy to let it go. First thing I want to do is look at this word vain. It's uh, kinos. It's a Greek word. And here's what the definition is. It's places or vessels which contain nothing. Places or vessels that contain nothing. They're empty. Empty-handed, without a gift. Metaphorically, it means destitute of spiritual wealth. One who boasts of his faith as a transcendent possession, yet is without the fruits of faith, endeavors, labors, acts, which result in nothing, vain, fruitless, without effect. Now, I've got to ask us all this morning, as Christians, when we look at our life, is there fruit? Is it an empty vessel or is it full of great things that God keeps pouring into that vessel? And you know what? He pours it into us not to keep. He pours into us so that we might give it away. And when he finds such a vessel that he can pour in and they'll pour out, guess what he does? He just keeps it up. So many times we're in that place where it's just lukewarm and then we say, well, I'm not hearing from God. There may be a reason for that. He also goes and talks about two ways that the grace of God can be squandered, made to no effect. Chapter 2, for he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That's from Isaiah 48, excuse me, 49, verse 8. Now, let me ask you, do you have a sense of urgency for Jesus to come back? Some of you do, but I want you to think about this. Is there a sense of urgency that says, Lord, Maranatha, I want you to come back. Do you realize how many Christians there are that if you said, Lord, come back now, they would say, no, not yet. My son's not saved. My daughter's not saved. My mother-in-law's not saved. I don't know if she'll ever be saved. No, I'm just kidding. Somebody in your life is not saved. I'm not quite ready. I want to see my kids grow up. Then after that, I want to see my grandkids grow up. Too attached to this world. Too attached to this world. We should, as Christians, be able to say, Maranatha, God, come quickly. Come quickly. You'll sort out all the other stuff. I need not worry about that. But you know, with Satan, it is always tomorrow. I think his motto is never do today what you can put off until tomorrow. 
The Christian receives the grace of God in vain when he or she lives without the constant supply and the fresh anointing for each and every day. He just puts it off until tomorrow. I'll get right with God tomorrow. Churches all around the world this morning are going to give a message and invite people to come to know Jesus. And many folks will just say, tomorrow. I've even had people say, young people say, well, maybe when I get old. In other words, maybe when I've sinned all I want to, and that never happens, but maybe when I've sinned and I've enjoyed all the things of life and I get too old, maybe then, maybe then, I'll give my life to Jesus Christ. Remember that definition of vain was an empty vessel. Even on his own teaching on prayer, Jesus said, give us this day our what? Daily bread. The manna in the wilderness, it would spoil if they tried to collect it. Remember, it was supposed to collect it fresh every morning. We as Christians, and, and guys, I need to tell you, it's the same thing with me. I fight it too. We all fight it. And that is to try to live on yesterday's blessings. Yesterday's devotions. But we can't. We need that steady stream of hearing from the Lord. We need to know that God is doing a work and we have been invited along to be a part of that work. And as being a parent, even being a mom and dad, you need to know what God's saying to you to, to know how to raise your kids. We're in a world where we don't know whether upside or down. We don't know. We don't know who's telling the truth and who's not. We don't know who the white hats are and the black hats are. We don't know. Everything is being pumped out by people and depending on what side you're on, you pick those people and you assume it's truth. It may not be. There's a lot of things we don't know. But one thing we know for sure is that Jesus knows what's going on. And how do we cope? How do we live how do we navigate all of this if we're not constantly filled with the love and the grace of Jesus Christ? And where are you going to get that? If you need to do a project and you don't know how to do the project, you go find some research. Unfortunately, we all go to Google and find somebody that's done it before. Not, not unfortunate. That's actually pretty good. But the only place you're going to find how to live your walk is around Christians and the Word of God. That's the only place you're going to find it. You're not going to find it anywhere. You can't go to work and expect your buddy who's been at the bar all weekend to tell you how to live your life. You can't. It's just it's not going to work. It doesn't work that way. So if we push out and don't let the things that mean the most to us, the things that should mean the most to us, we're going to falter in that walk and we're going to find ourselves at that place right in the middle where we're lukewarm. Eh, I don't know if I want to go or not. I don't know if I want to be around Christians today and they're all so stinking happy all the time. And <laughs> you guys know what I'm saying, I think. But to the unsaved man or woman, Paul says, now's the day. Now's the day, not tomorrow. Now. It's been a weird week, if you've been watching the news. <laughs> the
the stuff in the sky, all the stuff that's going around, all the things that are being said about it. You got one over here saying a Chinese balloon, and you got other people saying it was a hobby, hobby balloon that we spent millions of dollars firing out of the air, and it was a $14 balloon. So, you know, which is which? Today is the day. You know, Satan will always tell you, do it tomorrow. Commit to God tomorrow. Go back to church tomorrow. Be nice to somebody tomorrow. Fix the problems in your marriage tomorrow. The unsaved man or woman dissipates. Expends aimlessly and foolishly the grace of God by hearing the Lord's plea, yet putting it off. All right, here's the second way. We see God's grace cheapened. We can cheapen God's grace. Just depending upon that grace or acting as though we've got to, we've got all the grace in the world to do all the things we want to do and just say, hey God, would you forgive me? Now, God is not a parent, well he is a parent to all of us, but he's, he's, not a, he's not a person like we are in the sense that his love and his magnitude and understanding and uh, all, all the grace that he gives to us. But I want you to, to at least try to hear what I'm saying here. If you have a child and you've told a child, you've given them a, a restriction. Let's say they're, they just started driving, they're new and they're out. And you say, I want you in by, during the week, I want you in by 10 o'clock. Right? They're out till midnight. Are you going to just let that slide or are you going to talk about it? Why if they do it again? Now what? What are you going to do now? Why if they do it again? And again. And again. And again. And again. At some point in time, you're going to need to rearrange how you're handling it, right? So let's look at it this way. If we are constantly in the middle and we're squandering the love and the grace of God, because He loves us, there's going to eventually be a time where he moves in a little closer and, and allows us to see something in a different way. And my experience has been that's usually a little heat and pressure. Heat and pressure makes diamonds, right? Sometimes God will allow some things in our life to we wake up and we finally say, you know what? This is, this is not normal. This is not good. How am I going to, to be able to deal with these things? I've got to change my method of how I am operating my life or operating with my, my child. The person who does not have the Lord working in their life, they don't have the heart or the power to perform the things that they need to do. What are you saying, Pastor? If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, that's the power that God's given us to be able to walk this walk and stay out of the, the cold zone, the medium zone. But if we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to work, we're squandering that grace, we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to work, and we're not feeding that Holy Spirit and feeding that relationship, we're not going to know what to do. Because you're not going to be hearing the Holy Spirit whisper in your ear. We're just not going to be able to hear from him. And then we're going to start making really bad decisions. So God compels us to an even greater level of consistency as Christians. We need to be consistent. 
If you tell your child something that you will do and you don't do it over and over and over and over again, pretty soon they're not going to trust you. And they're not going to believe anything you say. And we make mistakes as parents. Something comes up and we can't change it. But I'm talking about that inconsistency. We as Christians need the consistency in our life. Make sure that our heart is constantly honoring the Lord, full of the Holy Spirit. Now Paul begins to give us some real life situations for how God, God is sufficient in our whole life. All the things you're going to face, God is sufficient. Now these first two, excuse me, the first ten have to do with what happens in our human bodies. How we face trials. Look at verses 4 and 5. But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God. In much patience, in tribulation, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, and in sleeplessness, and in fastings. Now, I want to go back here, because I'm going to show you a little video. But I want to remind you at the beginning when we said that we are partners. Right? We're in this together with Jesus Christ. Remember that first verse? I'm going to show you a little video, but I want to set it up. Okay. When your children are little, they want to help. Right? They get a little older, you can't find them when you need help. But when they're little, they want to help. Now, the reality of it is, you could probably get it done three times as fast. Right? If, if, if they would just leave you alone. And I want to show you a little video of my, my granddaughter in my shop. Somebody killed the lights and let's... She's sanding. I gave her some sandpaper and a stick and she did a pretty good job with it, but she got tired of that. So she goes with the power sander. Look at that tongue. <laughs> Okay, that's, that's good. My point is, I loved being with her. That thing didn't really need to be sanded. She wanted something to do. And so having her in there with me, watching her make the decision to go to a power sander instead of sandpaper in a block was like, yeah. <laughs> God doesn't need us, but he loves being with us. He can accomplish everything he needs to accomplish without us. But as much as I loved having her there, watching her learn, watching her grow, teaching her how to step up a little bit in what she was doing, all of that just meant the world to me. That's the way Jesus feels. That's the way God feels. And, and we must put that person of Jesus Christ in our, in our life and make him human. Make him feeling, make him loving, and make him caring. Because that, that right there will save us from a whole lot of trials. Knowing how much he wants to just be with us. All right, let's jump back to verses 4 and 5. All of these things that he's been through. He's saying, I've been through a few things. In patience. How's your patience this morning? In tribulation. In needs and distresses and stripes and imprisonments and tumults and labors and sleeplessness and fastings. Let me give you a very brief definition of some of these items that Paul has listed. Patience. How's your patience? 
Are you patient with people? Or A lot of people say, you know, God, uh, give me patience, and I want it right now. If you pray for patience, you know what's probably going to happen. You're going to be given opportunities to show that patience. That's just kind of the way that it works. It means enduring and not giving up. Enduring and not giving up. How many times in your life have you wanted to give up on something or somebody? And the Lord said, don't give up. Stick with it. That's what Paul is talking about. He says, we've been through enough trials that patience is something that we've learned that we have to have in the Lord. Tribulations, that means afflictions, trials under pressure, physical suffering. There are people suffering in our congregation all the time. They've lost somebody that they love and they're hurting. Many wake up every morning hurting. Go to bed at night hurting. How's our standing in the middle of those tribulations? Do they cause us to go into that middle ground? Well, God's not listening. So therefore, I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to read the word. God didn't, didn't heal. He didn't do what I asked him to do. We find ourselves in that lukewarm spot again. Needs. Needs are just necessities. They're everyday hardships of life. A desperate need with no way to fill it. <laughs> Pressed between two places. Backed into a corner. You have no idea how you're going to solve this problem. It's 11.59 and counting and God hasn't showed up yet. Now what? It kind of reminds me a little bit of the, uh, some of the... Uh, older movies that you see set in England from a very wealthy family and they have that little, bu- that little bell and the butler comes in and takes care of whatever it is, whatever their needs are. And sometimes we have that view of God. All we got to do is just ring the little spiritual bell and God's going to... Is there a trust that God's going to take care of it in His way even if it's not my way? Man, that's hard. That is hard, folks. That is so hard when you're losing someone or something that you love to say, God, not my will, but your will be done. How do you say that without feeling like you've betrayed someone? And yet, what happened with all of us? Distress us, being pushed into a corner, no way of escape, that narrow place. Paul's been there. Stripes, physical punishment. He had a lot of punishment take place in his life. He was imprisoned. The tumults are riots. It's like wherever this guy went, he wasn't safe. The more you love Jesus, the closer you get to Jesus, the less friends you're going to have. It's simple. Why? Because they hated him first. The more you look like Jesus, the more they're not going to like you. The more they're not going to understand you. The more they're going to try to persecute you. That's just life. That's just the way that it's going to be. We live in a place where the world is corrupted. It's Satan's. People say, this is my father's world. We've heard the song. Well, it is, but it's been leased out for a while. 
He's still the owner, but it's been leased out for a while. When he kicked Satan to the earth, Satan is the god of this world. Corinthians will tell us that too. Riots. When I look at this and I see the thing that Paul's been through, I'm going, well, maybe mine's not so bad. Labors. Now with Paul, when he talks about labors, that's serving the Lord to the point of exhaustion. Getting up early in the morning, still working at his making of tents from time to time. Working all day long, going out ministering, evangelizing, then getting beat up and thrown in prison and riots going on. Falling asleep at night, exhausted. But he was exhausted in the Lord. How many of you know there's a difference between just being exhausted and being exhausted in God's work? There's a difference in the two. And at least being exhausted in the work of God, you can say, but it was a good day. Because it's something eternal. Sleeplessness. These were all-night prayer vigils. John Corson says, if two vials were placed before you, one was labeled the tears shed for yourself, and the other was tears shed for other people, how would they compare? We can all get convicted about that, can't we? How often do we pray for somebody else? You know, it's an amazing thing because when you and I go to prayer, if we pray for other people, God just fills this one automatically. I believe that with all of my heart. God's not going to hear us praying for other people that he will meet those needs and leave us out in the process. He already knows our needs before we ever say them, so he'll take care of those things. He'll take care of those needs. Fastings. That's the willful denial of food for the sake of seeking the Lord's direction. It really doesn't have to be food. Food is the major way it was used in the Word of God, but you could just say, I'm not going to be on the internet anymore for the next month, and I'm going to pray. I'm not going to watch TV anymore for the next month, and I'm going to and I'm going to pray. It could be any kind of fasting as long as we take that time and use that in honor of God in some other spiritually effective way. Now, running out of time, so I got eight more things I got to mention to show how the grace of God reacts. Look at verse 6, verses 6 and 7, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. And then here he is saying, by purity... This is the way he handled these things, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, and by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness, on the right hand and on the left. Well, we know what purity is, don't we? It is as a virgin remains pure for their future spouse, meaning no guile. That can be male or female. We live in a world now to where it's how many, you know, how many bodies do you have? How many bodies can you count? How many people have you slept with like it's a red badge of courage? Sad. It's sad. It's a sad deal. I remember a time when it was just the, the men that were dogs. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys, but, you know, only one thing on their mind and but now it's the girls too. And I don't think it's really at their heart. I don't think that's really at their heart. They're looking for somebody to love them. 
But the kind of guys that they're sleeping with is never going to love them. You never take that girl home to meet mom and dad. You just don't. So the girls are being cheated. Being able to have this thing that the guys used to do and now saying we're equal, that's sad for both sides. That's sad for both sides. Knowledge. So he said that we, we kept ourselves pure. Knowledge. Christians are not weak because they're stupid. They are meek because of choice. Being a Christian is not being weak. It's one of the most powerful things you can do. It's putting your faith and your trust and everything in your life in the hands of God. It's a smarter choice. Because it's truth and it's, it's honesty. And it's real. When it's all said and done and the books are finally closed, God's won. The world has lost. He says, in long-suffering, that means being tender-hearted to difficult people. <laughs> Wives looking at their husband. Oh, it's for you. Make sure you get the tape. Make sure you get the CD. Make sure you get... <clears throat> Dealing with difficult people, you'll always have difficult people in your life. You are one. We're all difficult people at certain times. But we're supposed to have that long-suffering, that tender-heartedness, instead of getting bitter and angry. Have you ever found yourself in a day you're just angry about something? You don't even know why? You didn't get your donut this morning or something? It just like, didn't have my cup of coffee? You just, and you're going, you, it hits you and you're going, what is wrong? This is good, 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 and this is good, but I'm in a lousy mood. Why? Well, we have an enemy. Kindness. Christians aren't supposed to be crusty. Christians are supposed to be kind. Smile once in a while. It's not going to kill you. A lot of times people, even Christians, will say, I have no friends. Well, you have to show yourself friendly. If, if you've got that, if you, come another, if you have that look on your face that says, you come another foot, I'm going to kill you. If you have that look on your face, you're not going to have any friends. The Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, without which none of us could stand in any of these trials. Sincere love, unfeigned love. That love is unconditional, not built on conditions. Well, I'll do this if you'll do this. Or husbands and wives saying, well, you find yourself reacting to them in a certain way, and it's because they did that to you. Right? How does it feel? Uh... Isn't it childish, isn't it? It's so childish to get to that point. We should have the unconditional love of the Lord. See, here's the thing. One of the reasons why it's that way in a marriage is because we have this crazy idea. This crazy idea. All the fantasy books, all the romance novels. We have this stupid idea that we're marrying somebody that's perfect. It's all so romanticized. I'm going to marry someone and they're going to fulfill all of mine. Oh, no. Different outlook. The perspective should be, I'm getting married so I can fulfill their needs. 
so that I can help them, so that I can be a servant to them, not to be served. What did they say about Jesus? He came not to be served, but to serve everybody. If we get that going into a marriage, guess what? We're going to be happy. If you get treated like a servant, you're going to go, praise God. Get treated like a slave, you're going, hey, I volunteered for this. I'm all right. And he says, by the word of truth and the power of God, as we said before, you only get that from the word. Not going to get it from anywhere else. And the armor of righteousness, remaining pure through the trials. Hanging on, guys. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on to Jesus. Hang on. Don't give up. Don't, find, don't let yourself get back into that lukewarm place. Hang in and hang on to the truth of God. There's a few things you will always know in the middle of any trial. God's perfect. God loves me. God means good things for me. Yes, I will go through trials, but I know that my Father loves me. If you hold on to those, it's going to change your whole perspective on everything, no matter how much comes to you. Okay, verses 8 through 10. By honor and dishonor, by evil report. This is how we, uh, he reminds us to keep our vision, because we're not of this world. By honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and Behold, we live as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. That's the way the world looks at us, and Paul's saying this is what we really have. Honor and dishonor. Live life and know that it's going to have ups and downs. It's, it, there's, there's just going, it's kind of like the marriage. There's going to be hardships. Life is going to be that way. It doesn't matter how much money you make, you're still going to have the ups and downs of life. But if we go into it knowing that that's the way it's going to be, we're okay. The ups and downs, the honor and the dishonor. It's so easy. People are so fickle. One minute you can be in the news and you're the top gun, right? And then the next day, all the, somebody, all they have to do is publish something else about you, and then all of a sudden, you're, you're gone. You're down. Now, I don't know how I feel about Tesla. But I'll tell you what. One minute, Elon is top of the charts. Master automobile baker. Everything's going great. This guy's incredible, doing great things. And then all of a sudden, he buys sweater. And now he can't do anything right. You see what I mean? You can be riding a high one day, and the next day, you can be at the bottom of it. You guys, some of you guys went through this, and you saw many, many people just getting canceled. Voices. Big-name voices in Christianity just being just silenced, discredited. Evil report, good report. One loves you, one hates you. Remember that aroma of life and death? Deceivers, yet true. They think we're deceiving ourselves, and yet you hold the truth. The power of life and death lives within you because of Jesus Christ. Wow. You're not being deceived. You're being held by the hand of God. They're the ones being deceived. 
unknown and yet well-known, Pastor Chuck Smith. A lot of people knew Pastor Chuck, but he wasn't on the world stage. But I'll tell you what, he's changed a lot of lives, mine included. The Apostle Paul. How many people know, you know, if, if you have any religious background, you know a little bit about Paul. But if you go out and you talk to somebody in the world and say, well, how about uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul? They'll go, what? Who? Are you nuts? Why are you talking about the Bible? Why are you talking about this guy? He's nothing. He's nobody. In Acts 9, verses 11 through 15, it says, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ over those who had evil spirits. They weren't saved, had no power of God really. They were trying to borrow it. Saying, we exorcise you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And what do these demons say? Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, who did so. Here it is. And the evil spirit had answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? That's the lukewarm person. Who are you? I've never heard your name come up in hell. The demons knew who Paul was. Why did they know who Paul was? Because he was a force to be reckoned with in the spirit of God. Would my name ever come up in hell? In a good way. <laughs> Would yours? Because you spent so much time trying to Keep people out of there. Praying for them. Jesus I know, Paul I know, but they have no idea who you are. Let's go on. Dying and yet alive. We're all dying, right? The minute you wake up, you start to die. The minute you're born, right? That's just life. That's just the way it is. We may not like it, but that's the way it is. And yet we're more alive than anybody out there in the world. Because we're going to live eternally with Jesus Christ. Our life's not snuffed out. We keep going. Chastened but not killed. We're down but never out. You remember that teaching from Pastor Dan last week. We're down but we're not out. We go through trials. We have hard things but we're not out. Don't quit. Don't shift to that middle ground. Chastened but not killed. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. What are you rejoicing in if you're sorrowful? There's something deeper than that. You can still be heartbroken, but know that God's in charge. You can still be heartbroken and know that one day you're going to get to see them again. So, sorrowful but always rejoicing. Always looking for what's coming guys. Here's the thing. If you get nothing else out of this, change your focus to what's coming. Not what we're hearing, not what's going on, but to what's coming. What's coming? Jesus is going to return. And he's going to set it all right. 
And everything you've believed in and put your faith in is going to become truth. It is truth, but it's going to come true. Poor yet making many rich. Well, how did they make many rich? Because they shared Jesus with them. That's the greatest gift you can give to anyone, guys. I think it was Penn and Teller and one of the guys, they were saying that if you, if you Christians really loved somebody, you would, you would not be ashamed of telling them about Jesus. You'd be telling them about Jesus. Every time you turn around, you'd be telling them about Jesus. If you really cared about them, because if you really believe that that's eternal, that's, that should be the most important thing on, on, on your life, in your life and on your mind. But how many of us live next door to people that we've never even said anything about in Jesus? They don't even know if we are or if we are not. They may guess, but they don't know for sure. Having nothing yet possessing all things. How can we have nothing and yet possess all things? Because our dad owns everything. Jesus owns absolutely everything. So if we're not careful, these things, these trials of life, they can cause our service to dissipate the grace of God. It can become inconsistent in our walks and, forgive me, become inconsistent in our walks. It's a compromised walk. Now, guys, I don't, even, I don't have time to even go through the other half of this, so I may have to pick this, some of this up next week. But here's my point. Don't let yourself get into that place. I don't know where you're at. Some of us might not even know where we're at in our walks. But you know whether or not Jesus burns in your heart or not. There will be a few things that they may not necessarily come easy, but they'll become things that you fall in love with. And that's hanging around Christians. This is my church family is my family. I, I, love, I love coming here. And I love seeing your faces. This is my church family. We can openly talk about the love of God. You can't do that at work, can you? You get fired. You can speak, speak the truth about the word of God and, and people will acknowledge it. But you can't do that in the world because, again, you'll get persecuted or you'll get fired. But you'll find that you have a love for people that you never had before. You'll find that the word of God becomes very, very precious to you. Becomes very, very precious to you. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with devotions you know, little devotional books. I think they're great. But I don't think they should be our fuel for the whole day. I think they should be supplemental. You know, something, it's kind of like a cup of coffee in the morning, you know. It, it, get, it gets you up, gets you going, gets you focused. But we need to stay focused on Jesus as much as we possibly can through the day. So, a love for the Word of God. You will find that you start to hear about you, you get heartbroken for people that don't know the Lord. You'll find yourself in tears over people that you love and care about that don't know Jesus. When you go down the street and you see one of the, 
one of the people, you know, the, the guys that are begging and they have nothing, the homeless. You may or may not give them money because of what's, that's up to you and God. That's all I'm saying. Some of it's, you don't know where it's going. But that's not the point. Our heart should still break that that person has lost all of their ability to choose. Something now has control of their life and you and I know what it is. It's the enemy. It's alcohol or drugs and they lost all ability to be able to make any choices. That should break our heart. All I'm saying, guys, before we get into the whole separation thing next week, and that is, don't let yourself get there. If you're doing good with the Lord, man, nourish that. Nourish that. Keep that alive. How do you do that? Prayer, reading the Word, and fellowship. It's three very, very important things. Are you always going to feel like doing all three of those? No. It's not about feeling. If Jesus would have gone by feelings, he wouldn't have gone to the cross. He did it because you and I needed him to.